Let the games begin. Oh, I didn't come here to preach to you today, but you know that boy is good. Good and terrible. Did you see the memo about this? I got a message for all of them. Ready? Shake and bang. I, I play for keep. That just happened. Boom! And just like that, welcome to the world famous Say F It podcast, episode one. 40, I'm Gary Scott, and as always, I'm taking you on a movie journey. All you have to do is sit back, relax, you know what the deal is. Let me see, this week I have one, two, three movies, and I went down a binging rabbit hole. So I'm going to get into all of that and the message of the week. But before I do that, you know what you have to do for me. Make sure you log on, sayeffit.com, S-A-Y-E-F-F-I-T.com. If you want to send me an email, it's very simple. It's Gary Scott at sayeffit.com. And if you want to find me on all of the socials and connect with me, it's simple. Say effort across all of those platforms, S-A-Y-E-F-F-I-T. And whether you get your podcast or your audio on demand from almost any outlet, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Say Effort is there. Follow me, give me a review, do me a solid, and just keep this thing moving. Now that I've taken care of that, first up is Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. This is rated R, has a running time of about an hour and 49 minutes, and this stars Michael B. Jordan, Jodie Turner-Smith, if that name kind of sounds familiar, she was in Queen and Slim, and Jamie Bell. And what was really cool about this is it was another movie, I was about to say series, this is another film from the world of Tom Clancy, but also it was kind of an offshoot of Jack Ryan. And it stars Michael B. Jordan, and he plays the role of a decorated special forces officer who's looking for answers after terrorists are absolutely trying to target his family. So this, as I thought about it, we've seen Michael B. Jordan in Creed, he was a boxer there, and then We've seen him in Just Mercy, where he was a lawyer. We're getting to see another side of Michael B. Jordan in an action leading man type of role. And when I saw the trailer for this, I was extremely excited. And especially with it being on Amazon Prime, I was like, okay, this is going to be something new. Now, in watching this, I will say that Michael B. Jordan, they also had Lauren London in it, but I'm, I'm just saying Lauren London was in it. That's where I'm going to stop right there. But with Michael B. Jordan, we got to see him be that leading action star. And I will say he was the lead in Creed, but that was more of an athletic sports figure type role. But with this one, we get to see him doing some really hardcore action. But I will say as I watched this, Jodie Turner-Smith from Queen and Slim, in this film, I just felt... Her performance was just a little flat because she was playing a commanding officer. And in watching this, I felt as if she was she was being much more sultry than you need to be as a commanding officer, just in the mannerisms. And she just didn't have that hardcore edge that you would think that you need to have when you are commanding a troop commanding other officers and when you walk in the room just commanding that respect and that's something that I was wanting more of from her in this particular role and that's 
pretty much where I turned my focus. Every time I would see her in scenes, I just wanted her to be a bit more hardcore. So that's what I got from it. I want to know what was the motivation that she had while playing this role. What was the direction that she got? What did she glean from the script? What did she want to bring to this role? Just all of these different things. And then also in doing some research on this film, I found out that while filming, she was pregnant. So that also may have added to just all of what she was bringing to that role. Overall, I will say there are some really cool action scenes in it, one of which is the one that was in the trailer where he is speaking with someone and lights the car on fire. That was just absolutely intense scene. But I will say that Michael B. Jordan delivered. It was extremely entertaining, and it was what it was supposed to be. And I saw a lot of differing opinions where some people say they really liked it, some people say they didn't. I'm, I'm going to be in the middle. I think that it was an entertaining movie. I think that Michael B. Jordan did a solid job. I did want more of the, the technical aspects of it because there were certain times in the film where I was thinking like, I really don't think that's supposed to happen. And most of the time, I'm not even like that. I have full suspended disbelief, and I'm just going there. I'm going, I'm in that world, and it just doesn't matter to me. But when some things, you know, as, as they say, something in the curl just isn't right, you start to, your antennas start to go up, and you're like, ah about this but you still can enjoy the movie and that's exactly what I did so I will say with Tom Clancy's Without Remorse just a, it was a solid effort and a, an entertaining film that you won't feel as if you wasted your time and, and I think that's more important than anything so with that I'm slotting Tom Clancy's Without Remorse which is rated R has a running time of about an hour and 49 minutes I'm slotting it as a matinee Next up is Spiral, which is rated R, has a running time of about an hour and 33 minutes. And this stars Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, and Max Minghella. Now, I know you're just saying Spiral. Hmm, 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 hmm. Sounds familiar. Well, it should because this is from the Book of Saw. Now, when I initially saw the trailer for this, it was sometime last year, and with everything going on, it was one of the many films that got pushed back. But when I saw this, I was instantly intrigued because Chris Rock is a comedian. He doesn't really play a whole lot of serious roles. And I wanted to know what he would be bringing to this and he was an executive producer for Spiral so I wanted to know especially when you're financially invested and your name's on the line you want to do well so with this particular offshoot of Saw Chris Rock plays a jaded New York City police officer and he's just caught up in trying to catch a jigsaw copycat now you think what is Chris Rock going to bring to the role of a New York City police officer. Well, instantly it's just hilarious. And while you're watching it, you really feel as if, and in a good way, that you're really watching some Chris Rock stand up. So 
just all of the back and forth that he's having with his partners, with his other co-workers, with the chief. And then you introduce Samuel L. Jackson to the mix, who plays his father. So you get these two bouncing off of one another, and you just can't help but think, what were the outtakes like? Probably just absolutely hilarious. Now, I will say that I've been a fan of Saw since the beginning. So Saw 1, just a really interesting and crazy concept because it's more, even though it probably would be categorized as a horror, I felt as if sometimes it was mainly seen as a thriller because it's more psychological than anything. Your mind is trying to figure out what's going on, who's who, and all of that. Then you have Saw 2 still with it. Once you get to around Saw 3, I kind of felt as if, and by kind of, I really, I'm not even going to like try to grease the wheel. I'm going to say that Saw really jumped the shark right around 3 because you have that, the concept of Jigsaw, and you're with it, you're invested. But then it's like, is this a money grab or what's going on? Because at this point, when you have three movies now, it becomes a franchise. And then I feel as if when that happens, you start reaching for certain things and the reaches get more and more outrageous. And that's kind of what I felt with Saw. So with Spiral, I felt that it was trying to put a fresh coat of paint on the franchise. And when you have from the book of, you're really wanting to know, are they going to be able to do it? And Max Minghella plays a bright-eyed rookie that's been paired with Chris Rock, and they're out here trying to really understand what's going on with this jigsaw copycat. But one of the things that I will say about Spiral is it really just felt at points that it was just all over the place where some of the things just really didn't flow together and you're trying to understand, okay, this person is here. Well, what's going on over here? And you get a bit lost and I'm all for intricate plots, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's very cohesive. And that's one of the things that I felt about Spiral. I also will say that this was probably the first film in over a year, I will say, that I saw on its first weekend at a theater, albeit it was a drive-in theater, but still at the theater, and it just it felt great. And right before the movie played, they showed a preview, a showed a trailer for the new Ghostbusters film that's coming out, which still looks very, very good. So there are a lot of things that were put on hold that are going to be rolled out, and I'm just really excited about it. And with Spiral, I think that Chris Rock's performance will carry this particular movie because you're going to be laughing from start to finish a bit gory sometimes but that's what you get when you're watching a saw movie even though this is from the book of saw you still get that so i think that the gore and the horror thriller aspect of it will satisfy hardcore fans 
And I think that the Chris Rock element will bring in some new fans. And I think he did a great job playing a different role because you just think that he's always going to be the funny man. And he brought his humor to this dark, dark world. I was very proud and happy to see because I always like when people take chances. A lot of times... People are very safe, especially with films and movies, because there's so much money on the line. And you want to make sure you have a surefire hit. And sometimes that just doesn't take place. And just a lot of times you just need to go out there and step outside of your box, see if it works. If you're able to, to take a hit, if that isn't successful, but still just go out there see what works, throw it up against the wall, and that's the only way you're really going to grow. But I really commend Chris Rock for taking on such a different role, and I'm trying to wonder if there's going to be more, whether it be spirals or more from the Book of Saw. So just be on the lookout for that. So with that, I'm going to slot Spiral, which is rated R, has a running time of about an hour and 33 minutes. I'm sliding it as a matinee. Next up is The Woman in the Window, which is rated R and has a running time of about an hour and 40 minutes. And this stars Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Anthony Mackie. And if you're thinking to yourself, The Woman in the Window, The Woman in the Window, sounds really familiar. Well, it should because, again, this was a title that was supposed to be released last year. And... I was on Netflix and just realized that they dropped this in, I will say, the dead of the night because it was released on May 15th and I didn't see any heavy promotion for it I, because a lot of times when films are going to be dropped on Netflix, you get a prompt, if you will, or some commercials or things like that getting you ready so that you're excited for it to drop, but it just dropped on Netflix. So then I'm starting to think, well, what's going on? It has to be a story. So, you know, of course, I do my Googles. And upon my Googles, it showed that there were some issues with this particular film. And with this, it was one of those things where it was the last film from Fox 2000. They shut down Fox 2000 Pictures the day that The Woman in the Window was released. And you're like, hmm, what's going on? Well, Disney bought Fox and all of its properties, and they decided to close Fox 2000 Pictures. And this was the last remaining project under Fox 2000. So then you have that. And then, upon reading more, I find out that there were a lot of reshoots. And if you're not familiar with the term reshoots, it happens when they release a film or a movie, they test it, and the testing is not really going very well with the audience. So now, the brain trust gets together and they go, hmm, what do we need to do? And in some cases, they do reshoots. Sometimes it's the editing. Some stuff was left on the cutting room floor. They add that to the film. They take away some other things. If things are testing well, that's what they do. But then you have dreaded reshoots. Now, reshoots can really 
kill a project because one, sometimes they're pretty expensive depending on the type of film or movie, especially if you're working with a big budget. This wasn't a really big budget movie, but then you have that. And so then you get into what's working, what's not. And I really think that once you get into reshooting, people start to grip. And what I mean by that is they start to panic. They start to think, well, the first time wasn't working, and now I have to make it successful because the first time wasn't successful, and the testing didn't go well, and you start to get into your own mind, and you stop trusting yourself in the whole process, whether it be filmmaking or just in life. You start to get inside your own head. So with this particular film, even though it had such a great cast, it was something that was an ode to Alfred Hitchcock. And this film was about an agoraphobic woman who witnesses a murder across from her, and now she's really trying to figure it out. And if you're not familiar with agoraphobia, it's the fear of places and situations that might cause panic, helplessness, or embarrassment. And with it, it is an anxiety disorder and this woman, Amy Adams, just played it perfectly because not only is Amy Adams just a great actress, she really embodied everything that is agoraphobia because she takes you in there and you feel what she's feeling and you feel those panic attacks and you just feel everything that she's trying to convey in this particular role. So you have all of these things going on with the woman in the window. And as I watched it, I felt as if it was a really solid project. And they had a lot of nods to Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, which is another great film from 1954. But with the woman in the window, you have all of these moving pieces. And I absolutely love thrillers that are like that. I love movies in which... You're trying to play detective in real time and trying to solve the case before the character solves the case. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong, but your mind is thinking and that's one of the things that really keeps you engaged throughout the whole film. So I felt that this film, The Woman in the Window, was very solid and you can't help but love Amy Adams and Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, all of these just high-powered players and Anthony Mackie, and he's also building a really great resume as well, but you get all of those things. So as I'm sitting here talking to you, I feel as if this project was doomed before its release because you have it pushed back because of a global pandemic. Then you have reshoots. Then you have the closing of the actual studio. Then you have it being released in the dead of night with no real rollout. Kind of like, here you go, let's get it off the books, and, and that's that. And that's kind of how it felt. But even with all of the challenges that it faced, it really did deliver. So with that, I'm going to slot The Woman in the Window, which is rated R, has a running time of about an hour and 40 minutes. I'm going to slot it as a matinee. That wraps up the movies that I have, but 
that's not it. I went down a binging rabbit hole because ever since Paramount Plus was launched, I have been glued on that particular platform. And I was the first to say there are too many streaming platforms, just absolutely too many. And I can't stand another one. So then Paramount Plus is released. It's actually the rebranded CBS All Access. So they package up all of the Viacom properties, roll it up, put it together, present it as Paramount Plus. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm a huge advocate for Paramount Plus. Not only because of the fact that I have watched every single season of the challenge, which used to be the real world road rules challenge, but then it got branded as the challenge. So I've watched every single season that they've had on Paramount Plus and the real time one, the challenge double agents. But then as I got a little sad with the challenge ending, I was like, I need another show to binge. I've watched X on the Beach, Are You the One, all of these, because I am just a reality TV addict. If it's reality television, I'm that. And so I watched Love Island, which was still also entertaining, cheesy at times. But again, I don't care if it's reality television, I'm with it. So then I'm thinking, I need something that is not just one season, two seasons, three seasons, four seasons, five seasons, six seasons. I need something with some meat on the bones. I need something that I can lean on and rely on that will not expire in a short amount of time. So then I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and then boom, it hits me. Big Brother. Hmm. Never have I watched a full season of Big Brother. I can say probably before this, I have watched probably maybe a total of five to 10 minutes of Big Brother. So I do what any good steward of reality television does. I start with season number one. So I go back, hop in the reality television time machine and get in and we're going back to the year 2000. That's right. 21 years ago. So CBS launches Big Brother. And in 2000, I was aware of it. And you would think that with me being such a huge reality TV fan, I would have been on Big Brother for since its beginning. But that wasn't the case. I didn't get on the Big Brother bandwagon, say that three times fast, until I'll say now. So it's been a very long time before I even entertained watching Big Brother. I'm one of those people that likes to be an early adopter or with shows, I'll sit back for a little bit. And even with Breaking Bad, I probably watched Breaking Bad for the first time maybe almost 10 years after it went off the air. So now here I am with Big Brother, year 2000, and... I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I look to see how many episodes. So then I look, and I'm like, this can't be right. 70? 70 episodes of Big Brother Season 1? 
are you serious? And then, I'm not going to lie, I kind of got a little intimidated because while I wanted something that had a lot of substance, I wasn't thinking that it would be 70 episodes. So then I start thinking, wow, 70 episodes back in the year 2000? And it pretty much was on every single day day i want to say six days a week they would have a recap show then a live show then a saturday show but now i get to expedite the process because i don't have to worry about commercials and it's just condensed so then i see it 70 episodes and if you're not familiar with the premise of big brother season one or just in general they take 10 house guests they go into a house secluded from the world for three months. They don't have access to television back then, as they called it, the internet, <laughs> phones, nothing. They're just secluded. So all they have are themselves. And what they do is each week they nominate someone for banishment. So once you're marked for banishment in season one, they would have... <laughs> I'm still laughing because thinking about what was going on in 2000 is absolutely crazy. So then they nominate people for banishment. Then the public would call a 900 number to vote for who they wanted to leave. But one of the things that I really enjoy about shows and experiments like this is the human psychology and the sociology of it all, because as idealistic as people are, society will always erect itself in any type of situation. No matter what people say when they say, I want to start over and I want to bring a new society here, I want to do this, I want to do that, that's not going to be the case because societal constructs will build themselves because that's how people are wired. People are wired to be in control, to want to lead. There are going to be people that follow. There are going to be all of these things that are second nature to people. So you're going to have people that are going to lead. And when you have leaders, you can have someone that is either going to go about it the right way and they're going to try to understand people or you're going to have people that are going to be like bulls in the china shop they're just going to take it they're going to take that leadership role they're going to assert themselves on whatever group they're in so you have all of these different dynamics amongst people and then you have people that form alliances which is nothing more than someone that you're getting along with and you have just all of these interesting details. And I will say that season one at times felt a little long. And yes, it would with 70 episodes. But just overall, just so insightful to how society works. And that is one of the big things that really draws me to the experiment of Big Brother. Because when you think about it, and if you don't think about it, I'm going to give you something right now. The world, no matter where you're at, is about relationships. It's absolutely about who you know. And it's up to you to really build 
the best relationships no matter where you go. Because those relationships, and it needs to be genuine, but those relationships will always pay it forward. So when you invest in someone and you invest in relationships, most of the time people will invest in you. Even if it's not a direct investment, that investment will always pay off because others will either see it or who you've invested in will talk to someone else and they'll be like, oh, they're a really solid person. And that's exactly what was going on in the Big Brother house. So you have 10 and then the top three would get a cash prize. The first prize winner got $500,000. Second place got $100,000. And third place got $50,000. And you have all of these ups and downs. And I will say that one of the biggest things when you're in a group setting and you're really not sure who's who and what's what, a lot of times what you need to do is just sit back. Sit back and observe to see who is really trying to take on these group roles. And then from there, get to know people so you kind of understand their motivation. But then as you see all of that, then you can understand how you work within that group. Also, whenever you're in a group dynamic, it is extremely important for you to get rid of the malcontents because you really want group harmony. And I will say that sometimes people are like, I just want peace, I want peace, I want peace. Well, you can only want peace when peace is an option. So if you have people that are being malcontents, peace isn't an option. So you have to learn how to navigate through that until peace is an absolute option for you and when you're interacting with others. But I just was super entertained by Big Brother Season 1 on Paramount+. And I'm just absolutely excited that I have many, many more seasons of Big Brother to watch. Right now, I'm on season two. And I will say that they must have reconfigured things because now they went from 70 episodes in season one to about, I think, 30, 33 episodes in season two. And it's just a lot. It's a lot of television to watch and also a lot of television to produce when you're producing 70 episodes, some of which are live shows. I can only imagine what the production staff was having to deal with. Big Brother was just incredible. So with that, I'm going to slot Big Brother season one on Paramount Plus. I believe it's TVMA. I feel, I feel comfortable with that. I'm going to slot it as a full price. Now that I've taken care of that, got to leave you with the message of the week. But before I get there, you know what you got to do for me. Make sure you log on sayeffit.com. Send me an email, Scott at sayeffit.com. You can find me on all of the socials, sayeffit across all of those platforms and audio on demand, podcasts, no matter what your pleasure is, sayeffit is there. So find me, follow me so you do not miss an episode. Now that I've taken care of that, it is now time for the message of the week. 
To move forward, you must find closure with situations that have gone unattended. Ignoring negative circumstances isn't an option that helps you learn or grow. That was the message of the week. This is the Say F It Podcast, episode 140. I'm Gary Scott. As always, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Until next time, uh, you know what you gotta do. Say, 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 F it, F it, F it, F it, F it.